Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus, Zen is your go-to for stress relief and balance, and Mojo offers that clean natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine buzz without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with London New Tropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code SaturnReturns at LondonNewTropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with Lion's Mane and Rhodiola in their flow blend, Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code Saturn Returns. Enjoy. I can say what I want to say. I can be as vulnerable as I want to be. And the crazy thing, which people don't expect, is the more vulnerable you are, the more you put yourself out there, the more successful you become. Today, I am joined by the very impressive Stephen Bartlett. For those of you who don't know, Stephen is the latest and the youngest ever dragon on Dragon's Den. He is 28 years old. He is an author of Happy Sexy Millionaire. He has his own podcast, Diary of a CEO. And he is the founder of Social Chain, which he started in his bedroom in Manchester. I've been a fan of his podcast and he is just such an interesting person. I wanted to talk to him because I wanted to know what kind of character he was and to discuss how he got to where he's got in life. As you will tell from this episode, he doesn't hang around. He is on a mission and 
there were so many takeaways from this conversation that I had on a personal level afterwards. So anyway, I will leave it for you guys to listen. I hope you enjoy it. But before we get into this episode, let's check in with Nora, our astrological guide for the season. The drought to succeed in astrology is interestingly enough not represented by Saturn or Saturn return or its transit, but more so by the Sun and the Mars in our birth chart. When we turn 21, our Sun sign, which represents our identity and relates to the solar plexus, the Sun at this age matures. Around that time, we're starting to explore ourselves in a less angsty way. We start to explore more who we are, who we want to become when we grow up, which in turn then does relate to our first Saturn return because astrologically we grow up after a Saturn return. Often this need to know ourselves and do something productive with it provides the drive to go after our goals and anything we identify with, especially around the age of 20, 21, 22. Then, as we near our Saturn return at the age of 28, our willpower, which is represented by Mars, starts to shift into a more mature state, and we start to question whether we've been using our vitality and our true will in the most authentic way. That's when Saturn's return comes in and helps us peel back all the layer of what came from a sense of egoic identity and which came from a sense of authentic identity. It's a lifelong quest, of course, but by the time that we enter our 30s, we feel more comfortable with the fact that our identity and drive for success can mean different things at different stages. Steve, welcome to the Saturn Returns podcast. It's amazing to be here in this beautiful room. <laughs> Very. It says so much about you. Does it? It does, yeah. Well, I can see you analysing yeah, everything. I mean, I'm like, I, oh my God, we've never met just to say yeah, for everyone. Sometimes you walk into someone's house and it's, you know, because they've either not invested in making it them or... You know, they've just moved in or whatever. But this is a very good representation of... I feel like I'll know you more from just looking at this room than from spending an hour talking to you. Potentially. What's your home situation like? It's a good question. Um, what, what would you find in my house? Is it quite minimal? No. Uh, yes and no. I, I like to bring a lot of, like, my personal inspiration into my house. So if you go upstairs, there's what I call, like, icon hallway where it's like all of my icons that have inspired me through my life um, painted on the walls. So there's wow. there's about 10 paintings of like everybody from Martin Luther King to like Ruth Bader Ginsburg to Rosa Parks, all on this hallway by the same artist. So both sides of the hallway, I think there's like six pieces on each side. Is this to sort of inspire you each time you walk through them? Yeah, I just, I just like to have that energy. I don't know what it is, but I like to... Ha- I'm very easily inspired. That's great. By lots of different things, whether it's music or theatre or it's like, I don't know, I'll hear a song or whatever. And I like to have that vibe in my home. It reminds me of like what I'm doing here and how like great I want to be as an individual and who I want to be. Okay, because let's just bring this back for a second. Because sure. How old are you? 20, 28 now. So I turned 28. You've achieved so mm. much in such a short space of time. Mm. How the fuck have you done it? I sent I sent um, some of your stuff to my brother, mm. and he simply replied saying, "I feel like a failure." And oh, I was no, like, "You and me both, it's such bro." A <laughs> bad consequence of like of being young and achieving things is people think that you're either like some super genius or that it makes them feel inadequate. 
yeah. which is like not the effect you want to have. But um, it's a really interesting question because when you asked the question, I actually came up with a new answer in my head. And I think it's because, like, in, in order of like, how do you get far in a short period of time? I think it's because I've like been very clear from a very young age and I've been very good at making quitting decisions, which means that I won't spend four years doing something that's not working. So think about school. I stopped going when I was like 15, 16, got expelled because I was too busy running businesses. When I was, mm. I was running the school's businesses, I was running all of their school trips, their vending machine deals. And I thought to myself at 16, before like going into sixth form, I don't think I'm going to need these grades because if I can influence my peers to buy 300 tickets from me, these are the same people I'm going to be competing with when I'm an adult. And like, so I'm, I'm going to be able to influence them then to like manipulate them in a positive way to, to buy stuff and to sell stuff. And then went to university, went to one lecture, looked around and thought I want to study business. And the like girl on my right was sleeping on the desk and she was clearly hung over and I wanted to do business. Last lecture I ever went to, never went back. Because I was like, again, thinking logically and like my quitting decision was I'm going to get to the same place as she's going to get to. And if I get there with the same piece of paper that she's got, how much is that paper worth? And my conclusion was that it wasn't going to be a positive thing. And from first principle thinking, if I want to be an entrepreneur, who am I going to show this piece of paper to anyway? Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm going to be my own boss, um, how valuable is it going to be? And is there another way, a better way to get the skills that I need to start running businesses? Like, in hindsight, people make things really conscious and like there was a master plan, but it was more like the feeling I had. And so I quit and didn't care. Same with my first company, got about two years in, had a big glass of wine, decided it wasn't gonna work, quit. And then I started Social Chain and Social Chain was um, a really big success. So it's like a quitting framework that I have somewhere inside my head. But when I quit these massive things, even I just quit Social Chain mm. after six, six, seven years, the company's worth 300, 400 million now. <laughs> and it wasn't hard shout. for me. Yeah. It wasn't hard for me. It was like, I was at peace with it. And that'll be the reason why when I'm 30, people go, oh my God, you've achieved so much at 30. It's like, yeah, because I don't fucking hang around. Because I'm very clear mm. on like what I want from my life and when things... Aren't in flow. Yeah, when they're not in the right, the right thing. And there's so many forces in your life that will, tr that will trap you in a, a situation that isn't ultimately serving you or like delivering upon your potential. Whether it's your parents' idea of how your life's meant to be going, whether it's society saying, you know, you haven't got a university degree, you're going to fail. Or whether it's... You know, if you quit social chain, what are you going to do? What, you know, so all of those things, they hold you in a place which deep down you tend to know isn't right for you. You've just so touched, on, you've touched on so many things that I need to explore. And one of them is you obviously have a huge amount of self-awareness and did from a very young age. So I think I, I always look to like my childhood when, when I'm searching for answers because it's the most like impressionable part of everybody's life. But um, the one when I think about where I, where I got that sort of self-autonomy and that independence from, my parents... But when I got to the age of about nine or 10, we're just like never there. Mm. And so I, I look at it, I'm like, what are all the factors that were in play when I was a nine-year-old and a 10-year-old? So you've got, we were broke. I was black. I was going to a school where everyone else was white. Like every, I was in Cornwall, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone else was white. There's 1,500 kids. I was different. I was broke. They weren't broke. They were white. They had parents around. So you've got this kid who's like, wants to fit in he wants to have christmases and birthdays he wants to go on a holiday he wants to have a nice house like our houses were smashed up and fridges in the garden and whatever but we we're living in a middle-class neighborhood so mm. you look at our street you think who the fuck are they mm -hmm. right and what the fuck is that car so i'm growing up in that environment where you've put this like kid who already probably feels insecure because he's different then you make him really broke and so he's got this huge demand to fit in and to have stuff and he sees money as much of the reason why he's feeling inadequate 
And then you take the parents away and which make, creates this, this connection of like, well, if I'm ever going to feel adequate, it's going to be my own doing. Mum mm. ain't going to give me shit. And then by removing the parents, you actually make him the master of his own destiny. I'm not going to walk downstairs in the morning and there's going to be money there for school lunch. Mm. I'm going to ha- go have to figure out how we're going to eat today. You know, I think that's the, those are the factors that create a kid who is like super independent, believes his actions result in his outcomes. And then also somewhere in there, he, 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 he starts doing that, which builds these case studies of self-belief. Like, okay, if we have an idea and then I like launch it at 15, like the other kids will like give me their money. You know, and, and then you build these, that's what self-belief is. It's these case studies that kind of compound for or against you. And you mentioned actually before we even started recording, but about sort of decision-making, because that plays mm. a huge part in it as well, because it's one thing to have an idea, but it's a whole other story to execute it. Yeah. Is that something that is innate in your character that you just think of something and you go for it? I, it's, hmm. it's definitely a learned thing. It's got to have been a learned thing because... I'm quite different from my my siblings and I grew up in a slightly different time to them because I was the youngest and they all got raised by my parents. But my parents get to a point where when you're the youngest, they kind of feel like they've done the job yeah, of raising yeah. the kids. So they, they like piss you off. You don't get forever. the rules in the same There are no rules. My, my, my sister couldn't leave the house when she was like 15, 16, like super strict, whatever. But then when I was 10 years old, I could leave the house for three days and no one would even know. Because they were at work when I was, when I woke up and they were at work when I went to sleep. And my mum just started sleeping in her shop at one point because she was that, that hardworking and stuff. Did you rebel? I, I was never a bad kid, but I rebelled in the sense that I wanted to write my own rules from a very young age. So, like, I decided that I didn't have to go to school and that I wouldn't need grades. Not in, like, an... A, so you think when you hear a kid got, gets expelled, you think he was throwing chairs. Mm. I was, like, very polite about the fact that I was going to make my own rules. I've been back to the school to speak three or four times now, and, and the teachers will say to me, they'll be like, you're the nicest guy but the worst student. And I, my attendance, I think, at one point hit 30%. I would not do homework. Mm. I, like, didn't believe in it. So, would you say you struggled with authority? Definitely, to some degree. Mm-hmm. I struggle with being controlled. Mm. And at any point in my life where I feel like I'm being controlled by something, I will typically decide that I'll go do something else. Does that apply in a, in a personal aspect of your life as well as professional? Yeah, it does. And I've, I've had to kind of... I've had to mature there a little bit. Like mm. when it comes to relationships and stuff, just you've got to learn to compromise. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much a, like a, a man of my own decisions. So in relationships, you have to do things you don't always want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was a struggle for me because I thought, well, I'll just do, I, I want everything my way. <laughs> and then you meet someone and you're like, well, that's not how it works. And you learn. Yeah. And also, I think an understanding that that doesn't compromise your autonomy. I think that's always a difficult yeah. one. How does that reflect in your sort of professional... Um, relationships and a lot of people probably look at you and they aspire to achieve what you have Mm -hmm. but you talk quite a lot about how it's actually more crucial to have the day-to-day and the team around you that you enjoy the company of. Yeah I mean once upon a time I think I saw life as a what we call like a finite game where you're playing for an outcome or an end so like a finite game is basketball or like football Mm-hmm. There's 90 minutes on the clock. You're trying to score as many points as you can in those 90 minutes. And at some point, I realised that like life is really more of an infinite game. And the only way that you leave the game is via death. And that you're not playing for a trophy within a certain amount of time. And so you start to design your life 
in a way that can be sustained over long periods, like decades or, you know, 80 years, as opposed to just like, I want to achieve this goal and then I'll be happy or I'll be done. And I changed my company on this basis, social chain. I rewrote the rules of the company and said, we're no longer going to operate by comparison. So we're not trying to be the best. We're not trying to be number one. How did you know that there was like a gap in the market for that and that that's what you wanted to do? So there's a really like unhelpful belief that like entrepreneurs sit down and write business plans and they just have this like perfect moment of genius, which I just, I think is 99% of the time nonsense. Usually what happens is someone will be doing something and then the world will say to them, whisper in their ears, say there's a huge demand for this. And I, I really don't know many entrepreneurs that sat down, wrote a perfect business plan and then executed on that. And that became the thing. With us, I was at my first company trying to figure out how, how to get a million people to come to my website that I owned. Yeah. That was my first business. And I tried newsletters, I tried posters. And then I found this thing called social media in like in 2013. And the numbers were just bigger. And, and so I thought, again, this is going back to this like first principle thinking and not allowing convention to write the script. I was like, the numbers are bigger here, so why are we printing off flyers? Okay, first principle thinking, can you just explain Yeah, that? so first principle thinking is, um, whenever you encounter any problem in your life, whether it's deciding whether you wanna get married or quit a job or which career path to go in, you kind of have two choices typically. You can just allow convention to decide for you, like convention in my life would have said, go to school, go to university, mm -hmm. get a job, go to, get married, get a mortgage, mm -hmm. da da da. Or, you look at the things that you know to be fundamentally true in that situation and you reason up from there to create a completely new solution. So for example, social chains company culture, we're trying to hire you know, a thousand people in, 20, in, let's say, in 2021, let's say. The world in 2021 is completely different from the world 30 years ago. If you accepted convention's answer for the solution, it would say everyone gets in at nine o'clock, they work Monday to Friday, they leave at 5.30, they get 28 days holiday, they sit at a desk, you know, they have like all these line managers. But in the modern world, that solution is no longer effective yeah. because social media has created this glass window into everyone's companies now. I can see that Jenny got cupcakes today at work. I can see how flexible her work environment is. So if you're rigid and conventional, you're, you're not gonna be able to hire or keep people. So in 2021, you, you say, okay, what are the fundamental first principles? What are the things that we know to be true? Let me give you a couple of truths. If people love their job, they're more likely to fight for it. Mm. Just a fundamental truth, right? So we're gonna try and make people love their job. There's a huge amount of options now for young people in the, the workforce because they, they can now work globally because of remote working. Mm. Um, people have a greater demand for flexibility in their work. And so you, instead of just accepting the rule book of how a company's meant to be run, you build a completely new solution based on these first principles. It's what Elon Musk did with electric cars. So that's what I mean. Mm. Don't accept convention. Just go to the things you know to be true right now. And this is super hard. It's almost impossible because the convention, let's talk about marriage. Convention is something which offers people comfort, a nice blueprint. Security. Yeah, but it doesn't. But the problem is it's highly ineffective because the world has changed. Mm. So when I think about marriage, I go back to first principles. If the, you know men in black, where they mm -hmm. have the little thing which you flash. Yeah. And it erases your memory. Yeah. If I flash that right now, Think about how many things wouldn't come back the same. Mm. Science would come back because it's like irrefutable. Science. It's science. Religion would never come back. You would never know about star signs ever again. Just being honest, you would, you would never know about it ever again. You, and it breaks your heart. <laughs> it breaks your heart. I'm really upset about that. <laughs> but you would never come back. Marriage would never come back the same way. Mm -hmm. These are old constructs which have survived the test of time by like Chinese whispers. 
And so you think, what would the working world look like if I flashed it now mm-hmm. in 2021? It would be completely different and it would probably be more effective for today's challenges. So flash it and say, what would a relationship look like? Would you go and sign a legal document in a church? So I'm, I'm getting the subtext here is that you don't believe in marriage. No, people always think this. <laughs> it's like, no, but I'm just saying it's not the irrefutable answer for mm. all people in all situations. Well, I think like, like you say, what, 20... 20 and 2021 has taught us is that actually like we should question the why a bit more you yeah know, we should go back to like the origin of why something if you is want a better life is. if you don't then go ahead like go ahead if you if you want a better life for yourself yeah. in your career your relationships everything and elon says this as well he's like it's so hard to reason from first principles and create new solutions because when you're going outside stage yeah it feels risky and it's like it takes a lot of mental energy it's so easy just to go okay well well, that's how marriage works and that's how work works and this is how my life should work and mortgage this is what i should be doing based on these things okay well let's talk about that a little bit risk versus reward because i think a lot of people in every aspect of life we want the reward but we don't want to take the risk would you say that a lot of your life is revolved around taking big risks? Yeah, but we have two different ideas of what the risk is. Okay, expand on that. For me, the risk was staying in university for four years and then getting a shit job somewhere I hate. For me, the risk was losing my soul at school. For me, the risk was working in a call centre at 20. Like, what I believe is the risk is actually following convention. And, and, and look at me, I'm like happy, successful. Like I'm genuinely the happiest person I know. I'm so, I'm fucking killing the game out here. I know it worked out for me, whatever, but there's this bias, there's like a bias in that. But I actually think 99% of the time, the risk is the thing that you think is the safe, thing. the safe thing. Of course it is, because it leads to the same, down the same fucking path that everyone else is going. And it's usually um, determined by social conditioning or social validation or external opinions. And it seems like you have a fear of becoming complacent as well. Yeah, I think that comes from like, I think I think I, I have a, an increasing sense of my own potential and I want to make sure that I reach my potential. Now, that's not a success thing. It's just like happiness. and. Yeah, I think my biggest fear is unfulfilled potential. And I think it's something that we witness with people around us sometimes like at a certain age where you think, you, you just know that they have that knowing or that niggling awareness that perhaps they should have taken that risk or like quit that job or changed course. It's a big fear of mine. And I feel like, sometimes rather than just hearing that call and going for it, Mm. I go back into that um, using linear thought and logic too much. But it sounds like you use those things to take you out of the status quo, whereas I use them to stay in it. Yeah, so it's again, it's that reframing of like what the risk is, I think is a really big thing. People say like, oh my God, you got so much courage. I was like, no, 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 courage would have been staying in university or a job I hate. Mm -hmm. That takes huge courage. I did the easy thing. I was like, I ain't doing that shit because I hate that. And that's going to make me sad. And like, I'm going to not enjoy this. So I'm just going to go do stuff I enjoy. Super selfish, super, super um, risk adverse, if anything. But the problem is they're like, they're not really weighing up what the risk is and what the consequences Mm. are of reaching 45, having a midlife crisis, because you... When you became a lawyer because mummy said so mm-hmm. and you fucking hate that and you wanted to go dance in the hills of Costa Rica. The science and the psychology and all studies that I've done say the biggest risk is living a life untrue to yourself. That is the single biggest risk. It like, I just spent you know the last two years writing this book and looking at the studies and going way back and looking at these like Swedish philosophers from 200 years ago and it's really, really clear. Like, Look at uh, Bonnie Ware. She sat down with people that are about to die and she asked them, what's your biggest regret? And they all said the same thing. Number one, they said, 
I wish I had lived a life more true to myself. Like I wish I'd gone and been that ballet dancer. Mm. That is the biggest risk. And also there's this other really important factor, which is you're gonna die regardless of what you do. You, you speak about thinking yeah. about your death quite a lot. Yeah, I think it's such a motivational... It's such a liberating thing. You're gonna die anyway. What's the upside in playing it safe? Like, you, uh, this is, I don't, people don't realize they're gonna die. They, they don't. No they one don't does. They don't like to think about their own mortality. So they play as if they're going to be here forever, which means like playing it safe. And like this, all this shit makes sense if you're going to live forever. But if you know in 50 years it's over anyway, why are you playing it safe? Playing it safe until you die? Like, so what, you know, craziness. Okay, so what you're talking about essentially is like having that strong sense of self and living in alignment with those values. Yeah. Just... But I, I think, you know, and Saturn Returns, that whole thing is basically about a lot of people reach a point, and whether you believe in astrology or not, but approaching 30 and they suddenly think, I have not been living in alignment with yeah. my truth and authenticity. Mm. And they suddenly have to rethink their relationship, their career, whatever it might be, the emancipation from their parents that they've been living yeah. under their shadow. Have you always had that sort of understanding of your own truths and values and acted upon that from a very young age? Because I know it's probably annoying when people say that you're young to be as successful as you are, but mm. those things kind of run in tandem a little bit. No, I was never that self-aware of it, but it was happening. But I, it's taken me some time to realise and to like... Um, so I had a bunch of suspicions and hunches which grow over time. So one of them might have been that like, maybe you can just create your own life. This is a hunch when you're mm. very young. You don't have any evidence for it yet. But then as my life has gone on and I've built these case studies, I've, I've come to learn these things so, so that now I can communicate them in a way which makes me feel and sound really self-aware. Like I've mm -hmm. always known these answers, but now I've definitely learned these from reading stuff, but also from my own experiences. What I wanted to ask you about was like your daily habits. Mm. Do you have like a very set structure of how your day goes? No. No? No. Never? Not really. What time do you get up? Whenever I wake up. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never set an alarm for the second Not unless time. I have to. Not unless I've like got to go to an airport or something. But no. So it's just... not very structured. Well, I just like the light to wake me up. And I think that's the human, I think that's a human thing. I think like, like, I just, and I'm, I'm the boss. So I don't have to jump out of bed at seven o'clock and be in the office. Like, I just do what I, what I want to do. Do you meditate? Uh, so like, I think when people think about meditation, they think of like sitting still and like, hum. but I, we all meditate in different ways. Like I meditate while I'm working out. I meditate when I'm having a massage. I have lots of massages. Um, massages. Just like love probably three or four weeks. Not now because really? of all this coronavirus stuff, but whenever I can, like, and that's my moment of like switching off and meditation, like, you know, mm. and then at the gym, I find it really meditative. If I'm like doing uh, like a repetitive exercise, my mind goes to that same place. And can you talk to me about the book? Yes. When did you decide to write it and how come you did write it? And what are your sort of hopes with it? Um, so my publisher, my, well, my, my agent was trying to get me to write a book for a long time. I just kept like, I, I probably spent two years just like, oh, God, no, I don't know what to do. Don't have anything to say. And then it was one day when I looked back at my diary from when I was 18 years old. And in the front cover of my diary, I've written... Bear in mind, when I wrote this, I was an 18-year-old kid that was broke and, like, disowned by my parents and, like, you know, like, trying to, like, scam Just Eat into giving me free food by, like, pretending I ordered something or whatever. I was broke, right? And I was hungry, living in, like, a shithole part of the city. I wrote in my front page of my diary that by 25, I'd be a millionaire. A Range Rover would be my first car, a Range Rover Sport. I didn't have a driving license, but at this point. 
Um, and I would work on my body image because I was very, very skinny and I thought I don't want to be this this skinny and mm-hmm. small. And I'd have a relationship with a woman. Like I think I wrote like I'd have a long-term relationship. And when I reflected on that, I was you know, this insecure kid that was broke and very self-believing, clearly. Um, wanted to be a happy, sexy millionaire. That's what I took from it. Like I wanted to be happy, sexy, and I wanted to be rich. Mm-hmm. And at 26 or so, when I look back at the diary... And, you know, by 24, a Range Rover Sport was my first ever car. I was a multimillionaire. I was in a relationship at the time. I'd started going to the gym every day. I'd achieved all of those things. I, like, I wasn't buzzing about it because I was quite ashamed that those were the things that I'd wrote, even though I'd got them and even though I'm happy. I was like, why did you write that? What, what when what you wrote you that, differently? well, this is where you've got to get the book. <laughs> like, it's what I should have written. And I'm not someone that's going to tell you not to be rich because being rich is much better than being poor. Mm-hmm. Like, just being honest, it's much better. Because books are like, oh, money doesn't make you happy. Like, you know, something disingenuous about that. It's not a book telling you not to get money, it's telling you how to get all of those things, the, the truth about how you get those things, and really what I should have written instead. And like what I'm writing in my diary now as my goals for the next five years of my life. And what are those goals? You're going to have to read the book. What You just touched on something when we weren't recording, this yeah. a, a new venture of yours. Would you be, yeah. Are you able to speak about that? Uh, so no, one of the things that I talk about in the book is this idea of like resisting your labels. I've just come out of a company. I'm really well known in my industry. I was mm-hmm. the number one most influential person in my industry at social media, marketing, media, or commerce, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So the like, really tempting thing to do, I noticed, is to go and do more of the same. Yeah. And then, like, be the label. Like, everyone yeah. has labels, whether it's black, broke, rich, poor, mum, dad, entrepreneur, TV star, whatever it is, you have a label. And so the temptation is, again, coming back to convention being the safe blueprint, to just keep doing that thing because, it, you know, it's safe. And then I thought about how I, like, reasoned along, and I'm like, well, having done that challenge and knowing that so much of life is about setting yourself meaningful challenge, having completed that challenge, would it really make me fulfilled to just go do the same thing again and keep, you know living this label for the rest of my life and I thought no so I thought let's just go back to first principles and think about the stuff that I'd really love to do had I never done social chain had I did not have this reputation or these labels and I was like I want a DJ that'd be fucking dope I love music so I started learning to DJ and I've got I've got two shows this year one of them's at a big festival in the UK and one of them's um a private show I'm doing in London called Unlocked and uh yeah I was just like I want to be a DJ I was like that's part of the reason why I did the book I was like going to complete this book and be an author because that's dope and I love writing and I love the theatre as well I just recently got got into theatre over the last two or three years after seeing like Hamilton and the Book of Mormon and so I thought I'm going to do my own theatrical show and I launched it I just love this so so much because it's of everything that you've achieved you'd never expect that that's Mm. the direction you're going to go in and I've spent the last seven months working in a biotech company that's solving mental health disorders that's I invested a million quid a couple of months ago and then I've been f- basically full-time there. I'm working like at least 50 hours a week there and there were three billion now. So I thought, cool thing to go learn about. And that is for helping people with struggling with Depression, them. anxiety, PTSD, schizophrenia. And there's one more which I've forgotten. Oh, opioid use disorder, addiction. And that's taking up a, a lot of your time. I'm like full-time there, but I'm full-time at a lot of places. So it's like... How you do you have the time? Find more hours in the day, you know, be more efficient. How many hours do you sleep I'm not Oh, I sleep. My sleep is good. Fine. There's so many myths here that I, I, I hate to, I love to bust, which is like perfect routine bullshit myth. Yeah. Um, no. no. I wake up when I want to wake up. So it's like Jeff Bezos. They all say it like, I don't set an alarm. Um, this like, 
It's very uh, liberating this conversation because I think people just presume that these things are so structured. Yeah, because they, they have and to. Draconian. They have to because then they can sell you stuff and they can say tips and tricks and techniques. I'm like, su- I'm super unorganized. I, my sleep is great. I sleep for as long as I want to sleep. Yeah, and that, that's not where you make the wins in your life. It's like you're not gonna become some super successful, amazing super person, which actually doesn't exist. But you're not gonna get there by. Like waking up at 6 a.m. drinking green juice, doing like one hour of journaling. It's like nonsense. It's like. Just do what works for you. 100%. So, in the same, to sort of echo what you said about failing faster, you just learn faster, I guess, maybe. If, you, if you're also very analytical about what just happened, like, it's one of the things I've, I'm definitely good at is I constantly think about how I've performed and how I've behaved and like how I could have been better. Without judgment. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I will look back on this conversation in my mind and think about how I could have been better. Mm-hmm. Or not in, like, a critical way. I don't, it doesn't not particularly useful to put myself down. It's just, like, or I'll do it in my diary. But I'm, I'm learning faster because I'm looking back at things and asking myself, could I have been more polite? Or when I walked in here, was I, like, welcoming enough to you? Or was I a bit too cold? And... And how do I want to be better in the future based on that? And that accelerates your learning. People say you're very wise for like a 28-year-old. I'm like, well, no, I've just, I've learned more from the experiences that I've had because I've looked at them again. I tend to think that's what's happened. We've all had the same experiences. I've just taken more from mine because I've been like quite, not critical makes me sound like I'm beating myself up. I'm not. Well, I think we we are live in a culture where it's, we put a lot of shame with that sort of thing. You know, we associate shame. If we look at ourselves and question our decision-making, we have to sit with that discomfort, which we don't want to do most of the time. That's very true. And I think people therefore just want to carry on into the future. So when you do do that, mm. do you feel uncomfortable about it? Or is it more separate? I definitely don't feel uncomfortable about it because I'm trying to be better. So I look back on my relationships and say, oh man, you're such a scumbag. Like, why did you treat that person like this? Or why did you, but just don't make that mistake again. Learn from it. Try and understand why you did it. Okay, so the reason why when you chased that girl for two years and she said she would be in a relationship with you and then you ran off. Why did you do that? That's very strange. Why did you do that? (laughs) Well, because my parents used to scream at each other for seven hours a day. And at 10 years old, I was learning that relationships were prison Mm. and hell, my dad just sat there and my mum would just bark in his face. And so they taught me the model of like, when a man is in a relationship with a woman, it is prison. Mm. So I pursue this girl when I'm 16. She turns around and says, I'll be in a relationship with you. I go, fuck off. Because that thing from my childhood, I started, I felt like a bird in a cage. I, and then you go, so where did that come from, Steve? Oh yeah, because your parents taught you the, the first model of relationships you learned was that it was fucking prison. So you go, okay, well, how do I overcome that, Steve? You know, and stop, so that doesn't sit in the back room running the show for the rest of my life. How do I like bring it out and put it in front of me and try and overcome it? And that's the way I've been is like, being curious. Super curious. And like having a diary is a good way to do that as well. People go to therapy and the therapist will help them like bring it out from the back room and put it in front of them. You can do it yourself. My podcast helps me do it. It and holds you accountable. Yeah. It? And there's this other, other element, which is because I am my own boss and my own man and no one can cancel me mm. and whatever else, I don't give a fuck. I can say what I want to say. I can be as vulnerable as I want to be. And the crazy thing, which people don't expect, is the more vulnerable you are, the more you put yourself out there, the more successful you become for so many reasons. People gravitate towards you. They want to follow you. They want to follow your podcast. You gravitate towards things that are actually right for you. So then you become more successful because it's much easier to be successful at things you love doing. And it's that like being more vulnerable that um, 
just it feels like it's a risk but actually it turns out to be just like the most beneficial thing you can do would you say that your vulnerability is actually your strength 100 percent. yeah and like i yeah i just don't really care if people like if i say something that i something i used to do or that i used to think or feel or mistakes i've made and it's, i say it on my podcast in a very honest way i just don't care have you ever received criticism for that kind of things that you've said because we are living yeah, in a time yeah, of yeah. cancel culture. Yeah. It's like a real yeah. problem. I'm sure the worst is to come. I'm pretty convinced about that. What? That something... Yeah. Because I've got this really big show coming out. What show? I can't talk about it. I'm like sworn to secrecy. Show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. And I've got this really big <laughs> show coming out. so many things <laughs> going on. <laughs> and tell me about... I'm really intrigued about the theatre production. So you said about you not wanting mm. to be labelled, which I think is a really, really key point here mm. because... When people become successful in a certain area and they look at yeah. their peers in that area that are doing well and doing certain things and you think, okay, well, I'll just I'll mimic that. And yeah. I guess this is my space and I guess this is like who I am. Yeah. Whereas it seems that you did that and then you were like, this is not who I am. I'm going to completely go in a different tangent because this is actually what I want to do and this is the step I want to take next. So like, again, one of the things that you should, you should truly get into the habit of, I think, is... Always question where the bullshit you're, you're mulling over comes from. And, yeah. you know, you say, like, who I am. Like, so I go down to the root, root and I say, well, who am I? I am a guy that has a bunch of interests and skills. I can apply them to multiple challenges throughout my life. That's who I am. I'm not my, oh, the awards I won or my reputation. I'm not that. My reputation, by definition, is just everyone else's opinion of me. That's not who I am. Uh, so you bring it internal again and you make it an extrinsic thing and say, okay, who am I? I like music, I like this, I like challenge. And so you start doing loads of stuff. And the theatre thing is, of course I shouldn't be doing that. I don't have the right to be doing a theatrical production and starring in it. But when you look at the things I enjoy and the things that I like, consider myself to be somewhat good at, why, why not? Who's your boss? You're your boss. You do whatever the fuck you want. You're in there. And yeah. it's, it, at the moment, it's just you've got the first show sold out and then what your aspirations are just going yeah, so to... Yeah, so while you were doing this, while we were having this conversation, um, my team sent me a photo of um, the Royal Albert Hall because they know oh, that yeah, yeah. that's the next place we're going to do it, so... Oh, my God. So they just... So basically when you have these ideas, you then find <laughs> the best person to help you execute. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. And I just, like, I, I, I realise I can't do all ideas that I have. Mm -hmm. So you have to weigh them up and say, like, can I do this? And how much does this mean to me? And how quickly can I get to the point where I fail or find out if this was a good idea or not? That's amazing. How do you portion your time? Uh, like, with all these projects? Or do you not? Do you have any time to do anything? Like, I don't know. Are you always working? I work a lot. But when you enjoy what you're doing so it's much... It's not work, yeah. Yeah, that's such a cliche thing, but it's like, it doesn't... Some people talk about work-life balance. I'm not trying to get work-life balance. The, the two aren't... Mutually Yeah, they're not on different ends. It's like, my life is my work. It's like work-life harmony. They're at harmony mm. with each other. I enjoy my work so much. It's like, you know, like, imagine playing your favourite video game. It's like, that's what, I'm, that's what my work is. It's like playing my favourite video game. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the real key, is to make your, your work at harmony with your life, not like do this one 50% and clock off and then do this one like they're at total harmony with each other so my friends are at my work I love the people I work with which means that I get like the social element from my work and then I'm doing things I enjoy so I'm getting like my passion from my work as well and it's all just one harmonious thing so when people ask me about like when do I get time to do things for myself I'm like well every single day every hour like that's the point yourself. yeah so I don't need a break I don't need a holiday like 
I don't feel, I'm not gonna get burnt out doing shit I love every day. My mind just blown after this conversation. So just, I guess the final thing I wanna ask you is what a, what's next for you? I don't know. You have no idea. Do you just kind of like make it up as you go along? Yeah, just yeah. like take every day as I can. And like, I never had a business plan at Social Chain because you know the world is gonna change and opportunities are gonna come up and being too rigid about how your future look is actually gonna hurt your chance of capitalizing on whatever happens. So it's just this thing was like, Steve, can you do your best today? And try and do that every day. Some days I don't do very good, but That's still, okay. it's fine. And that, and that is a really, and it's not hoo hoo ha ha nonsense bullshit that I'm just coming up with. It's like, no, I will, in moments when I, I feel myself overthinking and worrying or whatever, I'll just remind myself, like, your best is all you, you're capable of doing. And do that, then go to bed and wake up tomorrow and try and do it again. All right, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. I think what I loved about this conversation the most was Stephen's attitude, his conviction and his self-awareness, but also his awareness of others and his surroundings. He's constantly picking up on all the details around him that inform his decision-making. It definitely resonated with me, this, this idea of not limiting ourselves, not being pigeonholed by what society says we can or can't do, this idea of not being labelled. I also found what he said about taking risks really interesting. You know, I'm someone that looks for 100% certainty and it's often not there. So being able to reframe your mind just to have enough certainty, like 51%, that's enough, make a decision and fail fast, that was a massive takeaway for me. I think he thinks that it's possible for anyone to be like that, and maybe it is, maybe it is. But I don't think he realises how sort of unique he is. And it was very inspiring. I hope it inspires some of you. You can find Stephen on Instagram at Stephen and that's Stephen with a V or on Twitter at Steve Bartlett SC. And you can find links to his book, podcast, stage show on his website, stephenbartlett.com. You can also follow our astrological guide, Nora, on Instagram at Stars Incline, And you can follow me at Kaggy's World. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Saturn Returns is a Feast Collective production. The producer is Hannah Varrell and the executive producer is Kate Taylor. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, you are not alone. Goodbye. <laughs>